0: So the way we started off this year talking about kingdom vision was, actually, what does God's kingdom look like? What what is, what is the picture of God's kingdom? We looked at paradise. We looked at the book of Revelation. And then after that, we started to say, well, what does it mean for us to see, like to really learn to see what, The way God sees, and so this is what this series has been about: learning to see. And we looked at what, how does Jesus see the world? What his interactions with people was like? What that looked like? It talked about spiritual blindness, the things that keep us from actually seeing things correctly. Uh, And then last week, Ben shared with us about the Holy Spirit, which is the power that lets us to see correctly. The way we're finishing up this subject is Jesse actually asking God, "Okay, God, well, if that's the case, how do I see the way that you see? What needs to happen in my perspective and my attitude?" And with that, we're going to be doing that. Now, today's slides are going to be fairly monochromatic, uh, not a lot of color, um, and very subtle. And part of the reason is um, when we look at the things around us, when we look at this world uh, and trying to figure out what is God's way and what is our way, sometimes the difference can be very subtle. In fact, if you're not paying attention, you're not looking carefully, you can miss out. And I feel for a lot of us, that's how it feels. Like our own walk with God seems to be uh, blurred. Sometimes we don't know what's the right way to follow God or we can't hear him or we can't see him and we're not sure what's happening. For us today, we're really asking God, help us to get our eyes better focused on where you are and what you're doing and otherwise what you are doing in our life and how you're challenging us in that way. Now we're going to be going through the uh, third chapter of Colossians and this is the bulk of where we're going to be looking at today. And um, I'm going to be pulling out, in particular, four key words about that, pas- about, about that passage that should help us understand what it is. The first word is set. Now, the way this passage opens up in Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear in glory. Now, the word set there, actually, it comes up in a little two ways. The first way it comes up is it talks about seek the things above. And then later it says, set your mind on things above. Now, in some translations, the first part actually says, set your heart on things above. But both this idea of seeking and setting is you're looking for the place where you will settle, where there is a home, where you know that that is your place that is your being that is the environment in which where you stand that is your starting point your home base your beginning point um, the example i like to use is a uh, long time ago uh before the age of the iphone uh, before you swiped to type in your keys There was this thing called a keyboard now some of you may still have them on your computers before the keyboard there is a thing called a typewriter now how many people here have used a typewriter Oh, I'm so proud of you! Oh, I see so many Malaysians where computers arrive so much later than I can. <laughs> just in East Malaysia. No, um, as we're <laughs> just dropping uh, hammers all over the place. Um, typewriters, typewriters, are amazing things, right? Because um, you have all these kind of things, these hammers that fly up and hammer these little ribbons that print out these things. But on typewriters and in modern keyboards, uh, some of you may have noticed. Actually, how many of you guys can touch type? How many people can type without looking? Uh, type actual sentences without looking. Okay, right. So if you touch type and you put your fingers on your keyboard, do you ever feel this little bump on a certain key? And do you know what that bump is called? Don't say bump. That's called the home keys. Now, the reason they're called the home keys is when you let your index fingers rest on them, and I will throw this extra tip in there for you as a bonus, uh, when the Macintosh first came out, they did not put their home keys on where your index finger was, they put it where your middle finger was because they wanted to be different and that just annoyed a lot of people because they always kept typing wrong. Now, the reason with the home keys is when you put your fingers there, you, can, you don't have to look at anything, you can just type because you know exactly where your home back is. You know where you're trying to get back to and you can always feel that and you can move and go around. If you do not know where your home key is or you have started in the wrong place, Whatever you type comes out as a mess. It comes out as a gobbledygook. In your own life, if you do not know where your home is, if you don't know where the place where you set is, or the place that you are supposed to be seeking, you are going to find yourself blown around, uncertain, lost, confused, distracted, finding yourself going down different directions and unsure how to get out of. Now, my guess is for a lot of us, actually, this is how we feel. And it might be because of your... Uh, job. It might be of your own anxieties or worries, but there's a sense of like, I don't know what I'm doing. What this passage is trying to get us to start off is, is you need to seek on the things that are above. You to set your mind on things above. Now, what does that mean? Gosh, it's such a Christian phrase, right? Set your mind on things above and then all will be well, right? You imagine it to be on some Instagram page and you put it there and say, yeah, amen. And you go home and you're like, let me set your mind on things about what am i really setting my mind on clouds or just being good because the flip side of that says do not set your mind on earthly things now we immediately know okay well if i don't know what to set my mind above i know what it means to not think about earthly things earthly things we think are like money job career spouse those things right because those things are the things that matter those are things we see so we say okay fine I shouldn't be materialistic. Uh, I shouldn't be trying to always look for someone to marry or to go out with. Uh, I shouldn't just be about my career. And then you're like, okay, so what am I thinking about? What do, what do I really do? Because I don't know what's above, and I don't know what's n- I'm not supposed to look at. Actually, the, the key to this, the idea of being set, setting your mind above, is actually realizing and understanding that you are not just earthly beings. You're not not just humans, just flesh and blood humans. But you are spiritual living beings. You are spiritually alive because of what Christ has done. And that's why you've been raised with him. That whole idea of being raised with Christ means you're not just earthly people. But you are spiritual and you are alive. Like that realization alone, that understanding has to make you think, well, you know what? I'm not just Focused on everything around me because there is a greater meaning to my very existence. Actually, it's not just about my meaning. There is a greater being to which I pledge my allegiance to. Because God is the Almighty One, because God is so great and so powerful, you begin to realize because He has given us a spiritual life, I, as a spiritual being, I want to give you glory. I want to have my eyes and my heart fixed on you. I want to see Jesus. In all that I do, in all that I see, and how I process and understand this world, you are the window by which I see everything else. Now, understanding that you're a spiritual being immediately shifts the way that you look at the world around you. If you know that you have been created, cared, holy, and blameless because of God, the way you look at the world around you is you can't just keep walking around judging people because they're different. You have to say, oh, actually, this is also someone who was created by God. This one is also precious. Precious. This one is also precious in the sight of the Lord. I mean, if you start understanding it that way, you realize, wow, there is something almightyly wonderful and precious about our very existence. And if you are a Christian, and you know your spiritual life has brought you forgiveness, purpose, hope, meaning, love, security, why don't you yearn for that same spiritual life to be experienced by people around you? Like how much are the people around you missing because they just don't know how great it is to be loved by God, to be held by him, to be known by him. Like I find so many of us as Christians, we're still, we're still struggling with identity. We're still struggling with our insecurities and our fears and our anxiety. And those things still plague us. And we, and we look at them and we're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm so worked up about these things. I get so frustrated. And God is saying, you know, if you, if you stop for a second, and you look at me, and you listen to my voice, and you hear Jesus saying to you, you are precious, you are created, God is sovereign, and even if your life is full of struggle here, do you think that's a problem? Because God has given you an eternity with him? You begin to understand like the the whole focus of your life shifts. You understand where your home is, your home keys are, and you begin to like, this is how I write my narrative. This is the life that I live. Because I know that I'm constantly typing back and this is where my hands and my life belong. This is my home. Now, when you lose sight of that home, when you lose sight of where you're supposed to be set, you know you're blown around again, right? I I, I found nowadays, like, one of the biggest problems is when things don't go our way. When things don't go our way and we have a plan, like, we have a course of action, this is what we want to do, and it doesn't happen that way. Some of us are like, oh, fine, well, whatever. You know, as the wind blows. and And the other person's like, okay, I think you're too laissez-faire about this. This actually has implications. And, and part of you gets frustrated, and some of you are like, well, I just don't care, whatever happens. Both of those perspectives are wrong. One is you're trying to control too much. The other one is you're just saying, I don't care at all. What God desires us first to do is to fix our eyes on him, to say, God, you are my home, so I trust you for the things I do not know, but I follow you to be responsible for the things that I do. When we spend too much time worrying about the things that are not in our control, we discover we find more anxiety. When we don't care enough about the things God has given us responsibility for, well, then we're lazy sloths. And God is saying, no, actually, you are responsible for some things. And you need to make sure you have set yourself in those things. It is why it's saying seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. It is really saying make that your place. Make that your home. You need to be in that place then where you are then anchored or or settled, or that's your place that you know, this is where I belong. This is who I am, and this is where I fit in. It's not B.C.C., it's not Birmingham, it's not Hong Kong or China or, you know, Spain or wherever you're from. It is, I am with Christ, and that is where I belong. Above all, that is who I am, and that's where I go. It's in this passage, This where it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now that's like this, you you hold this in your heart, you will understand that that's where your home is, right? For you have died, like the life that you've had before, that's over because actually you have been given completely to God and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now the problem with, there's two great things about this word Hidden. On one hand, it is this great sense of security. Oh, God has hidden you in his heart. He's there with you. It's great unless you don't know where it is. Then it's hidden. You can't find it. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know where it is. And I think for a lot of us, that is where we are in life. We're like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know what my meaning is or my purpose is. Or I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or I don't know how to handle the situation. And you're, and you're looking for answers. And, and God has said, you can't find it here on earth because I have hidden it with me. So come to me, and and you will know where that hidden place is, where that place of security, of safety, of being in this warm, understanding place of God. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And again, that's great, right? There's this picture. This is not just talking about when he comes the second time. When you know where Christ is, when you know where your life is, and he appears to you then, Wow, then your life is all, yes, you are my home, and what I live for, God, is your glory. Everything that I am going through here on life, it is for your glory. And I pursue what can bring you the most glory because that will actually bring in me the greatest joy and the greatest purpose and the greatest meaning. You can go through hardship and suffering, but if you know that actually that that's how God's going to use it to glorify himself, it gives you strength. It gives it meaning. And I know for most of us, actually, if you are going through suffering, you want to just stop. You just, want to, you just want no more suffering because suffering is horrible. But when you persevere and you also can see how that is used as a blessing, that suffering, which was painful for yourself when used as a home key for God says, well, because my life is set in God and because I know his goodness is greater than all of this, he can then use it for his glory. When I think about uh, my own life and the hardships I've had or the, or the times I've really gone astray, I've really gone away from God, and I completely lose track of where my setting is, where my home is. Um, it's horrible. Like, you feel really bad. So, the example I gave, I, th- these are, by the way, this, if you can't tell, this evening service is quite different than this morning service. Um, I've, I've spoken, this is my fourth time preaching today. I gave a completely different sermon in the Cantonese and Mandarin service, but I gave this example. Okay. So, I know you guys think, oh, he's a pastor. He's a good guy. I'm not really that good. So when my son was born, my son Alex, when he was born, he was a baby. This is the first baby we've ever had in, our, in my family. Okay, so I didn't have another child out of wedlock. Um, but I had, my wife and I, we had this child. And both of us thought, we both have university degrees. I have three degrees. Like, how hard? <laughs> Anyways, um... <laughs> wait i should have done this all right okay cool um you know i have three degrees how hard can raising how I many how hard can it be to have a baby loads of people have babies all the time and they do fine like i'm good i can do this so we had the baby and it's like the most difficult thing i've ever had done in my life then the second thing i, I thought was saying like, "Bert, you're really i'm like i'm a patient person you know like i've put up with my wife already for a few years like i'm patient right how bad can this be it was really bad. Having children is really hard. I mean, I was really struggling, and there was a moment when my child was crying, as like a baby. Alex bawling his eyes out because that's what babies do, and I was losing it. I was so angry, and I was so tired, and I just shouted at Alex, like, "This is a baby," and I'm shouting at full value. What's your problem? Go to sleep. What is wrong with you? And as I was saying it, I was like, oh, my gosh. I sound a bit like my parents, but I'm saying it in English. But the anger that I have in my heart is so strong. I have so much anger to this baby. And I'm like, go to sleep. And I was shouting at him. And then, like, I had to get my wife had to come, and I had to go out the room. then she came out and said, what is your problem? You're shouting at a baby. I'm like, what's my problem? What's his problem? Why didn't he just go to sleep? What's his problem? And she's like, ah, I can't deal with you. And of course, then that was then our marriage struggled. No, um, there's this whole thing where I was so caught up and so full of anger and so lost and I completely lose sight of who I am because I let this red mist come over my face that I start acting out in ways that are completely not right. They're not godly. They're not anything because i have completely lost my foot lost my setting i'm trying to make something happen that's not happening i'm getting frustrated i'm getting angry i feel like things are out of control and i'm not thinking about god at all i'm just thinking about how this is disrupting me and how this thing that i want to be healthy is not going the way it should and it's happened so quickly when you lose sight of where god is and from that incident, actually, what happened after that was um, I had to, I felt, I suddenly felt really bad. And I was like, oh, actually, I, I, I just yelled at full volume at like a two-month-old. I, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, and I had, to, I had to say, you know, God, that's, I'm really sorry. This is, I had to say sorry to my son too. And I'd like, I would like, I don't want to be that person. In fact, I know I'm not supposed to be that person, but I don't know where I'm supposed to go. It's in those prayers when you know that's the case where you have to start. And and for me, it's still the same where I had to realize I need to know where my home is. I need to know where I'm set, that I am a spiritual being, that my son is a spiritual being, that my wife is, that the people around me, that, that, that I am not just here just to see what's bothering me and I want to fix that, but rather, God, make the life that you've given me really flow out, really change me. If the first word is set, and it's kind of saying, you know, you need to seek uh, the things that are above. You need to set your mind on Christ, really putting that as your home. The second word is actually reject. Now, most of us have dealt with rejection. Uh, Many of us uh, may have experienced that with uh, your parental units. Um, They don't really reject you. They really love you. They just want you to do well in school. Um, There's a sense of uh, rejection. Now, the word here um, actually is a bit stronger in the Bible. They don't actually use the word reject. Um, Let me read it out. They actually use the phrase put to death, which is actually stronger than reject because if your parents put you to death, that's much worse than rejection. Some of you guys are like, you don't know my parents. Anyways, um, let me read this out. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now here you can see uh, this idea of rejection uh, a little bit stronger. Right? The way it's saying it is put to death or put away or put off. In other words, these are things that you need to actively discard, actively put aside. You have to reject them. You say, I, I want nothing in this in my life anymore. I, I do not want this in my life. No, no actually, it's-, it's stronger than that, right? It's not I just do not want. I refuse to have these things in my life. I refuse to have these things in our life. Imagine, for instance, that in our church, Uh, Let's just random example. Let's say a mouse uh, crawled into church. Let's say there's a mouse that crawled into church and like, this is no place for mice. Um, It sounds like I don't want to evangelize to mice. But anyways, there's no place for mice. Some mouse comes in and it's like, look, we cannot have this mouse coming in here. We've got to get rid of it. If we throw it outside, it's just going to come back in, right? Really, you would have to put it to death. You have to get rid of it and just dispose of it because you cannot have this living in you. Now, in your own spiritual life, it's the same thing. We allow all sorts of stuff into our life, and, and we're fine with it. But the Bible is really clear. It's saying put to death, execute, reject fully these things. You, you can't have that stuff in your life. And now it's interesting because he, he points out two things, right? He starts off saying these things, right, which is sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then later it goes into this thing, anger, malice, hatred. And, um, and I break it out to you. It actually falls into two kind of categories, um, idolatry and hate. The first part, idolatry, when it actually says um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, the idea behind this is that actually this kind of um, idolatry, this is is, um, when you're looking for your own sexual gratification, things that will please yourself. Like it's a very selfish, all of these are very selfishly done. And the idolatry part of it is you look at this in an objectified way, like you're objectifying someone else for your own personal satisfaction, for your own personal gain. And and this is where God is saying, look, you have to get rid of that. Because if you keep looking at people that way, as if they're objects or just for your own pleasure or for your own desire, or just to do what you want to do, then you will be dissatisfied. And also, that is not the way God looks at people. Again, he's trying to say, look, we are spiritual beings, and God's life in you has given you spiritual life. And here you are, treating your brother and sister objectified or for your personal gain or for your personal enjoyment. You're putting yourself as that idol for your own satisfaction. And that's why you have to cut that out. The second part is this idea of hate. We have anger, wrath, and malice, and slander, and I've seen talk from your mouth where you're saying things. And, and this is the kind of stuff that breaks down relationships. And again, God is trying to teach us how to see one another, how to interact with one another. First, if we understand that we belong with Christ, the second thing is, well, how do we treat each other? And He's saying, you need to reject this stuff. Like, really reject it. Like, that is not who I am. That is not who I want to be. This is not where I'm going to stand. This is what I'm pushing completely away from me because I want that out of my life. The, the words that I would use are pretty strong. P- put to death, reject, renounce, cut out. Now, when we look a little bit closer, when we talk about um, idolatry and, and, and hate, there's two things I want to highlight especially. The first is actually he's talking about this because he sees how people have been treating each other in the church and outside of the church. You have your classes. You have the way people look. You have what you think would satisfy you. And you have different races. W- one thing that the church has not spoken out enough of, spoken out against enough of, is, is racism. And how actually so many of us not if, have a racist perspective on things, we have an elitist perspective on things. That somehow you must be smart or educated or well-read. To belong to a church or you need to be a certain race or act a certain way before you are welcomed into this place and we reject the wrong thing we're rejecting people when god is saying no 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 you're you're rejecting people when actually god is saying you should be rejecting the attitudes that you have the, the walls that you put up the hate that you have towards different people the biases you need to put those aside. And it's really hard to. Now, most of us here are ethnic minorities, so we would have experienced some form of racism or um, actually sexism or even in some cases some verbal abuse, depending on how intense it is. And it's hard because when you've been affected that way, you know, what, what do you do? You want to harden your walls and you want to say, well, I hate those people too. My friend uh, they used to own a takeaway and of course, uh, there was always some tension, not just between uh, their takeaway and other Chinese takeaways. Um, most of the times, the Chinese takeaways try to move not nearby because they just don't want to take each other the competition. But in particular, with uh, Pakistani takeaways. Um, similar childhoods, uh, kids have to work in the shops. And he remembers this one time, um, my, my friend is, uh, and he was 16. He was the, uh, I think he was uh, the best rugby player in his position in that age bracket uh, in, up in Sheffield. And they had to work in the takeaway. And uh, this kid, this kid came in one day and had a, like a, a small Molotov cocktail, basically like a, a lit uh, uh, bottle, and chucked it in there. And my friend, because normally how it is in China say wait, the mom works at the counter because her English is a little better, and the kids if they're older and they help the counter too, and the dad's cooking in the back. My friend jumped the counter, ran, chased the kid down, and got him. And grabbed him like a Pakistani kid, and he's like, oh, he's he's only like ten. And like my friend was really angry. He was probably he could, he could, be put in prison if you attacked him he just said you know get out of here and it's those kind of things where afterwards you know like you know that the chinese family then is like oh well you got to be careful around those pakistani kids at the same time you know pakistani families well you don't want to be careful around those chinese kids and meanwhile the white people are like well we're just coming in here drunk and we just want our you know our food and everyone just starts to have these kind of racial biases that we have in our hearts or that we pass on to our children And God is trying to say, look, when you let that hate seep into your life, you want to let this four-legged hate live with you and just think like it's fine to be there, you will find your mindset shifted where you start to think these people are not spiritual or they're not precious or not loved. When you start to objectify women or men or whatever case, you start to stop seeing them as loved and adored and precious to God. You understand, like, that kind of mindset, You know, when you let that creep into your life and creep into the church, it it, it breaks down what God wants to do. Like, he really yearns for for this to be his community. And yet we treat each other so differently, so awkwardly, so racist or elitist or sexist. And it's hard. I'll admit, it's hard not to. But it seems like what's worse is letting that in. God is pretty clear. He's, he's, he's using a really strong term here, like put to death. In other words, put that down in the grave and say that no longer has any place or any right or any authority in my life. I refuse to be racist anymore or elitist or proud Or think that just because Chinese people invented spaghetti, they should have the right to do anything in the world. Like, you know, and it's not just that. We draw our political lines. China, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Now, I have my viewpoints on that too. But when I start letting it affect my belief that these people are still belonging to God, that God's love still extends to them, well, then if if I lose sight of that, then I've lost sight of what it means to love God. It happens so often. When, when, if you're, if you're a, someone who's struggling with the way of you objectify women and you think, oh, it's not affecting me. I can just you know, look at this pornography and it won't affect me. It affects you. It affects your relationships. It affects how you see one another. God is not saying this because he doesn't want you to enjoy your life. He's saying it because you're messing yourself up and you're messing up the relationship that you have with each other when you do not put these things to death. I mean, the verses, and it can't be any more clear because it follows on with this verse, and it says, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in and all. And you'll look at that and say, oh, yeah, but that's exactly right because we don't have any Greeks or Jews here and, uh, you know, all this stuff. But what he's saying is, like, the, you are not bound by, by race or by class or by even um, your background. He's just saying, look, here, we all belong to Christ. In Taiwanese, the phrase is gaki uh, Um gaki uh, lang. Uh, the same people. We're all from the same people. We're like the same tribe. And what's saying is look, all of us who believe in Jesus, we are Gaki Long, we're same people. We all belong to Jesus. And it's it's that life when that starts to come on you, and we start realizing, oh actually we're all on the same team. We're not enemies. You find yourself less angry and less fighting and more eager to love. Now I, I, I tell you I've been really trying to practice this. And the place I've been trying to practice this is, is Twitter. Um, Twitter is the place that, that wants to make you as angry as possible, and it's very, very successful in it. Um, and uh, in particular, whenever I read any tweet relating to U.S. politics at the moment, oh, my goodness, I get so angry, get so angry, get so mad. And it's really bad because when you start getting mad, it's not my kid's fault that they're coming home from school and I'm already in a bad mood because I was on Twitter, right? You, know, like, you can take it, you start to let your hate spread to different areas. And what I've been trying to do is as I'm reading stuff, about Donald Trump, or I'm reading stuff about the Republican Party, and I'm thinking about how they are dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. Part of me gets so angry, and I want to, like, hate them. And as I do that, I suddenly realize, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't hate them. Maybe I should really pray, and just yearn for the love of God to be in their life, and to not be so quick to condemn. And then read some other viewpoints, and realize, oh, you know what? I can see where they're coming from. They're totally wrong and deluded. But, wow, I really, I really want them to know the love of jesus more it's it's amazing because when your heart shifts to that direction you can begin to pray for them and when you begin to pray for them you start realizing okay god you are you are bigger than this you know that the china hong kong tension that conflict yeah you can stand in political places and, and want to say certain things but when you start looking at individuals you just say well, you know actually god i really pray that your life comes into them you know the biggest transformation of that situation is for christians and those who believe in christ to actually follow him, to let that love pervade, right? That transforms everything. Even here in this country, even in the times that we encounter racism, or we are the people who are racist because we're locking our doors because we're scared that someone's going to rob us because they're not the same color as us. You have to be more active in saying, God, change my perspective, change my heart. It is an active rejection of that attitude, of those kind of deeds and that life, and saying, well, I don't want that in me anymore. Now, if you reject this, if you say you kick that out, you might find, that there's a void. There's something there that I was used to. And so the third word, if the first one is set and know where you belong, and the second one is reject and put to death those things that are past, you have to receive. And here is this amazing thing because actually God says, yeah, actually when you reject that and you free up your heart space and your mind space, you are then able to receive what I want to give you. And he gives this amazing thing, right? Like, you can imagine he has all this stuff laid out for you, and you're like, well, sorry, I want to hang on to all this hate and uh, racism and idolatry, and I got no space for that in God. Really? Because if you put that down, all this can be yours. In fact, all this is already yours. And actually, if you follow me, this is who you are. And it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Oh, how amazing is that? You are already God's chosen one. You are already holy and blameless. He doesn't say... Put this on when you're holy enough or when you're blameless enough and uh, if I decide to choose you. No, no. He says, put this on because you are already chosen by me and you are already made holy and blameless. So then have compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Now, all of those words, those you cannot those are not solo words those aren't you can just do this by yourself you can't go home and say oh my goodness I'm such a compassionate heart to myself you know I just love it when I express compassion to myself and just feel like that joy of compassion because I'm compassionate to myself you you can't i mean you could but uh, you might be uh, you might be on instagram um but rather you have to you have to really express that to someone else right you you demonstrate compassion with someone else or you demonstrate kindness or you forgive someone else you know there's this interaction there and god is saying look if you if you put that other attitude aside and you put on mine like the way you love one another the way you treat one another is far greater and, then, and this first one, when you've experienced these, when you understand that you've, ex- you've been a recipient of compassion or you've been a recipient of care or kindness and patience, you are then supposed to pay that forward. Say, oh, yeah, well, I want to do that, too. It comes very naturally, actually. If you have been sick or in hospital for any period of time and you know you've had to be looked after for doctors and you wish you could get out and people come to visit you, you remember those people who came to visit you. And next time when they're in the hospital or they're ill, you want to go and visit them because you've had that same compassion received and you want to you bring that to them. You are so much more thankful when you've been cared for in that way. And for those of you, you're like, well, I've not been cared for that way. Well, just think a little bit harder. Think about how great God's compassion has been on you. Like, really. Uh, sometimes I think to myself, well, you know, am I, I'm not... I'm not that bad, right? Like, there are the worse people in the world. And I try to console myself that way. But if I really stop and think, I, I realize, oh, actually, Bert, no, you're, you're pretty bad. You tried to kill a guy once. I mean, that's pretty bad. Um, you know, you shout at your son. Like, that's pretty bad. And he was like a baby. And you say, oh, I know God's forgiven me, so I'm okay now. See, when you, when you think and you realize, actually, where we think is good and where God is, is a completely different level. And yet God in his great compassion, his great love has shown us so much mercy. Because I think actually if God really wanted to get mad at me, like and shout at me in my face because I wasn't going to sleep, like I would die, right? Like there's no way I could survive being shouted at by God. But he has such great compassion that not only does he love us, but he puts in situations that help us to grow, to help us move forward. Like all of these attributes The more you look at God, the more you see how he has demonstrated that to your life, the patience, how he he could be so much more proud of you, but he is so humble. He gives his own life to you. You begin to understand how then you can bring that to other people, how you share that out, as opposed to saying that somehow I'm going to lord it over them. I use this example when we talked about humility. Um, In in church, there's a a really fun thing to do called um, giving unsolicited advice. Um, in church, there's this really um, people love to say and like to, oh, Bert, why doesn't our church do this? You know, you know, I saw this church do this. We should totally do this. Or they say, you know, that person's not that good. That person should do this. Or why don't you have this person do that? Because uh, I don't think the person who's doing it now is any good. And everyone wants to give in their suggestion. They're like, oh, that's so good. And I'll say to them, oh, really? Oh, do you want to do you want to try help me out? Oh no 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 no. I don't want to do. It. I just want I just want to tell you what to do and then you follow me. I'm like really because that's just. Like, where is that coming from? I said, oh, it's because I care and I love the church. But actually, a lot of it comes from pride. Like, you want something done because you might see something that needs changing, but you don't actually want to get involved. And not just that, you don't want to serve in a way that's not comfortable for you. You want to give on your terms. Now, the flip side is you think about Jesus. Like, okay, now, if I was God, I do this a lot. If I was God and I wanted to come away to save humanity, I mean, if the only way was to die on the cross and to humble myself and to, like, be born as a baby, like, I would find, I would look for every loophole to try to get out of that. And even if I did, I would probably be a really annoying kid because I'd be like, oh, I can't believe we're going to have to die. Like, I'd, I'd bring it with me because I wouldn't be able to have that attitude. But Jesus god almighty says is this the only way i'm gonna be born into humanity i'm gonna have to do things like pee and poo like we take it for granted but this is like god almighty says i will i will surrender all that if that will save these people at that point when you start realizing how humble and how wonderful god is it becomes a little bit less like oh Whew, maybe I shouldn't just sit around and complain so much. Actually, God, how can I, how can I bless? How can I, how can I love? How can I be alive in these people's lives? And God, how can I just have, like, I just want to be more compassionate. I want to have more kindness. I want to have more patience. You know, because this, like, the way you live with people, the way you see people, the way you interact with them is so different than the way I do. And, and uh, great, when you realize that, then realize, wow, I am so much more of a sinner than I thought. Now, the flip side would be if you're Chinese, then you would say, oh, that means I'm a failure. I'm just a bad Christian. I'm useless. I can't do anything. Whereas God is saying, no, that's exactly not right. Because of Christ, you can now move forward. You're not trapped. You're not bound by that old way, but you can actually proceed. The word for receiving is this idea of Put on or receive, or possess, or actively identify, to say, well, that is who I am. This is my identity now. I possess this. I've put to death that old thing, but now, you know who I am now? I'm compassionate, heart guy, patient, kind, humble, forgiving, and that is defines who I am, and I want to live that way all the time. It, it starts there, and it means you might fall, you might not succeed, but you immediately get back up and say, no, that's the old way of me is gone. And I want to listen to you more and walk in that right, in that way. That's so why this verse then says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And he uses this word love to kind of as a, as a, as a catch-all. Yes, there's, there's all those elements, compassionate hearts, patience, humility. But all that is love. You know, if you really understand what love looks like and saying, well, God, show me more of your love so that I can express that to the people around us. Now, for yourselves, I have a feeling a lot of us actually don't understand the love for God that well. Probably because we compare it to our parents or we hear voices saying we're useless or no good all the time. And we can't figure out where God's voice is. If that's the case, let's go back to step one. Set. Set your mind on God. See where he is. And then ask him. Set, God, I need to know your love. That needs to be my home key. I need to know where that love is. If you ask him that, he will gladly show you and teach you. And as that happens, you just keep rejecting. Okay, well, let me reject the lies or the things that I believe that aren't true. Let me reject that. Instead, God, let me receive your love. Like my yearning is that we we get healthier. We just become healthier. Like, I mean, I didn't want to be the dad that's shouting at my kids all the way until they get old, right? I do not want to be that person. So I'm like, okay, God will change me. Amazingly enough, I don't shout at my kids at all now. Partially, they're really good. But um, I also know that I had a really short temper before. But God just helped me move forward from that because I know that that is something I have put to death. Instead, I am who God has made me to be. And I'm trying to live in that reality as opposed to one from before. It is a daily mindset, a daily receiving. It's why, you know, when Jesus, Jesus praises, give us our day a daily bread. Yes, He's asking for provision. But it's also that symbol of, of manna that God, you will provide for us each day, your word that gives us that life. We need to receive that and we need to be yearning for that in our own life. The fourth word and the final one is actually let. Now the way this passage goes, it says, "And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." It says two things right there: let the peace of God and let the word of uh, let the peace of Christ and let the word of Christ. One is uh, rule, and the other one is dwell. The idea of let, um, it's not like to let, uh, like I want to rent out a place Someone Letting is about permission. If you let someone borrow your car, you're giving them permission to drive it. You let someone uh, come into your house, you're giving them permission to come inside. When we're saying let the peace of Christ or let the word of Christ, you're saying, actually, God, I am giving you the authority and the freedom to come into my life. And the two words there are rule and dwell. You're saying, God, I welcome you and I let you come in. I give you the authority and the permission to rule my life and to dwell in my life. I want both your peace and your word to be in my life. It is a legal kind of term, right? I'm letting you. I'm giving that to you. And it's a little bit deeper than that, right? It's not just letting. It's I'm giving you submission. I am submitting to you and letting you in. If we know the first is rejecting those old ways and you're receiving God's love, the, the, the last one is saying, actually, God, I give you all authority into my life to do what you need to do so that your peace shows me how to live and your word instructs me in what is right. It's this idea of, of not just let or just allow. It's giving permission and submitting. Now this might be the hardest part for us because we, we like to do things our own way. We say, yeah, no, no, I love I love God. I follow Him. I, I want to be with Him. And then and then while you're doing something, you feel the Holy Spirit say, nah, I'm not sure that's a really good idea. And it's funny because it's actually right the peace of Christ. Uh, he is the one who gives us peace. It's the Word of Christ, right, dwelling in you, and it's like convicting you, and you're no like, hmm, I should I should probably not do this. Or I should, I think I'm getting angry for no reason. Or I I think I'm uh, looking at this situation in a very selfish way. And you can, you can, you know, because you've been trying to listen to God. And and then what do you do? You say, well, God, thanks for coming. Uh, Welcome to my house. But I just like you to go outside now because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I don't want you to be here. So you could just either turn around or just leave. Uh, That'd be super. And I'll call you up when I'm ready. All right. We we literally do that. I mean, well, not literally, because it'd be very weird. But we figuratively do that. We turn our back on him and say, you know what, God, I want to do what I want to do. And then we, and we come and complain later and say, oh, I just have no peace, Bert. And I just feel really out of sorts. I just feel like things aren't going the way I thought it would be. And I just don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, I guess if, you, if you'd let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, maybe things would be different. But you like the peace of Christ when it's good for you. And you don't like the peace of Christ when you think it's not good for you, because I'll give you a clue. The peace of Christ is always good for you. It's when we start thinking that we know better. For us, it's really saying, God, I'm giving you the authority. I'm surrendering that to you. I'm turning that over to you. It is surrendering to Jesus. And just saying, Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ yourself, can you, will you, have full authority and ownership of my life so that I will walk alongside whatever you are saying. Giving them the rule of spiritual leadership, authority, and power. It's why this two parts, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we all want peace and we all want richness. And God is saying, this is what Christ is offering. That richness of life, that peace of life. But you need to listen, you need to follow. It's why at the end of this, it says, whatever you do then in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, when you let Christ have authority in you, if you've given him legal precedence over your life, you are now a living ambassador to him, right? You're representing him wherever you go because he has authority. He is now the king of your life. So wherever you go, you're like, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here with you today. Obviously, I don't know if you should go into your lectures and say that on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I grace you with my presence. Um, But there's a sense of you're coming into wherever you are and you're like, okay, God, then if I am representing you always, how am I living? Am I actively rejecting that old mindset and actively putting on who you are? See, after this passage, after this verse, Verses 17 onwards, it starts talking about husbands and wives, fathers and sons, slaves and masters, or in our current modern translation would be your employees and workforce. It's actually saying this is how you live with one another. If you have this whole picture of what it means to follow and live as Christ's kingdom vision, the way you will treat each other will be very different. Now stop for a moment and imagine that that is what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth like where his people are living that way. Like they're living with this vision of God's kingdom and they're living out in that kind of way, like full of this compassionate heart and and learning. And all those things means people are going to mess up, but you're going to be there with them to help them get back on the right track. You demonstrate kindness and compassion and, and love in the ways, not in constant success, but in our learning and moving together forward. That's when you practice grace. In learning to see and really asking God to show us what to see, we have to really set our mind, know where our home is. When you reject that old way of thinking, when you receive this new way, and you need to let Christ have authority and rulership in your life. If this is, you know what I've been saying, if this is striking a chord with you, then your prayer is just, Jesus, teach me to see. Teach me to see who I am in You, and teach me to see the way the world, the way that You see it. Turn my eyes away from that old way of life, and fix it on You. He is, really is the way and the truth and the life. He is the light that shines and reveals. He is our hope. He is our promise. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, um, You are indeed so, so good. And without a doubt, we take you completely for granted. We undervalue your sacrifice on the cross. We, we just do not appreciate enough. And yet, uh, your great compassion means you don't withdraw that promise to us. Or your humility means you, you don't continue to reject us, even though you are King of kings and Lord of lords. So now, Jesus, we, we want to come before you and, and, and say and let you have authority in our hearts to dwell in us richly to rule over us. We want to submit to your will. And we want to put aside, you know, our own attitudes and our own perspectives. And like, like, we don't want to be racist and elitist and sexist anymore, Lord. We really, really want to be clothed with what you give us. So we thank you, Lord. And we ask for your spirit to lead us. And we are quick to obey this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.